Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 125 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we have a moving interview with Rini Premeza about the troubled border collie she adopted and was determined to help. I really wanted to help the dog. I, even though he was biting me, there were, he had some redeeming qualities, you know, and I, I really was getting attached to him. I just needed to stop the biting. Plus, we have the Dogcast Radio News and a festive story. But before all that, we have an interview with TV vet Joe Ingalls. At this time of year, many of us are thinking about lovely things to eat. But how do you make sure that what you give your dog to eat is lovely? Sometimes when you start to look at ingredients, you can get a shock. You can, and, you know, it's something I've been campaigning against for many years um, with the campaign for real pet food and, and my own pet food businesses is the fact that, you know, for too long we've fed our pets second-rate food that, you know, we wouldn't be happy to feed to any of the rest of the family. And, and I think it can have been doing quite a lot of harm to our pets. I mean, there's the issue of obesity, but there's also probably more importantly the issue of um, artificial additives and low-quality ingredients all manner of health problems from behavioral problems right through to serious diseases such as cancer. So, yes, um, you know, we, we, we need to take feeding our pets seriously and we need to um, really feed them the kind of food they deserve. Yeah, yeah. Have your own dogs had any problems or sort of was it what you saw in, in your surgery that inspired you to do this? I mean, originally it was dogs I saw in the surgery. So I would be in the surgery and people would, you know, have dogs with problems, skin problems or behavioural problems or all sorts of problems. And we'd talk about diet and, um, you know, I'd look for suitable foods to recommend them. And in the end, I got so frustrated, I started doing home, you know, home cooking for dogs and, and coming up with recipes of my own using simple natural ingredients. So things like um, fresh chicken and rice and um, brewer's yeast and all those kind of natural things in there. Um, and those proved very successful for um, for pet owners. They, they they went down well, and I could see the benefits in their pets. You know, it really made a difference to a lot of them. And um, so that really inspired me to set up my own pet food company, which is Pets Kitchen. And um, you know, and, and from there it's gone from there. Really. And over the years I've been doing it, we've developed um, a range of food, and, and we've recently developed what I think is is our, our best range of food yet, which is the Vets Kitchen range. Um, and the idea behind that is it, it, it actually delivers specific health benefits through natural added ingredients. There's quite a scientific range, um, as well as being all natural. It actually tries to deliver certain health benefits through things like glucosamine for the joints or prebiotics for the digestion. Yeah, yeah. Now, I was going to say, I've had a mooch on the Pets Kitchen website, which is really interesting. Um, now, omega-3, that's fish oil? Yeah, yeah, it can come from fish oil and, oh. and other places, and yeah, and and that is um that is a, a great ingredient for all sorts of things. Really, I mean, um, omega three is great for the skin and coat, but they also benefit the brain, um, and you know, lots of lots of areas of the body. Um, so they're great, particularly for older dogs and maintaining mental function in older dogs. So you know, I think um a lot of fish-based dog foods can be great. Um, using fish oils, uh, you know, as an active ingredient. Um, and we've also gone a step further and developed um, a range of supplements, and these are source-based supplements, so they're really easy to give to dogs rather than giving tablets or powders. They're a chicken sauce you put on top of your dog's food, and we do one of those, which is based on omega-3 oils um, for dogs with skin problems. And we also have in there um, something called oat groats, and people might have heard of these from human supplements. And these are a very effective natural remedy at reducing itchiness. So those are the kind of approaches we take for these, these products. And yes, and certainly omega-3 is, um, is definitely an ingredient we use a lot. 
Yeah, yeah. I found it useful. Um, I changed my dog onto um, a food with omega-3 in it because he's a black lab and he had dandruff. And it just yeah. showed up dreadfully and it was, it was quite embarrassing, you know. Mm, and, yeah. and, and that really helped him. It's quite, and it's, yeah. it, when you think about it, what you're feeding your dog is really key to sort of, as you say, his brain function, how he behaves, what he Everything. Like. I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we, you know, the old saying is you are what you eat. And that is just as true for our pets as it is for, for, for us. So, um, you know, it's no surprise to me that you've noticed that kind of difference. And we see that all the time. And, and you know, we get people ringing up and saying, what a difference our foods and supplements have made. And I mean, the other ingredient that is, is very popular is glucosamine for joints. Um, and there have been lots of scientific studies showing, you know, that it has effects or some showing that it, it's not effective. But I mean, from my experience, both in the surgery and also from um, using our foods and supplements with glucosamine in, uh, you know, I can really, um, I'm really confident that it has a major beneficial effect. Um, you know, we get a lot of people who say the dog started taking our active joint supplement and within a few weeks they, they, they're transformed and they can walk again and, or the, you know, they can be much more active. And although you have to take any individual um, anecdotal account with a pinch of salt, you know, by the time you've heard that 20 or 30 times, then you start to think, well, actually, there really must be something in, in glucosamine. Yeah. Yeah, and it has. I mean, it's not just older dogs. For example, we are uh, Bichon was three, and she ruptured her cruciate ligament. And you know, I'm really trying to take great care of her now, and sort of so, I like to give her glucosamine to to maybe help stop her having mm. other problems later on. Yes, there's definitely um, you know a lot of uh, a strong body of evidence for, for suggesting that's a good idea, and a lot of vets nowadays recommend that any dog with a joint problem or or the potential to have a joint problem, even so, you know, big dogs like German Shepherds who tend to have joint problems, it's a good idea to start them on glucosamine when they're young to try and uh, slow down the rate of progression of this of any sort of arthritis or anything, and particularly if they've had a problem like your dog has had, then glucosamine, um, you know, it's not going to it's not going to make the problem go away, but it's going to help your dog cope with it better and minimise the sort of ongoing effects of the joint disease as, as she gets older. Yeah, yeah. Now, another thing, you, you've already mentioned this, but prebiotics. Now, what are those, Joe? Prebiotics are actually um, compact. There's a range of, of, of things that uh, can be classed as a prebiotic, but things like chicory extract and, um, and other um, beet pulps and things like that are natural ingredients which can be used to promote the um, the, the uh, production of good bacteria in the intestine. So um, they, they encourage the growth of certain bacteria which are beneficial to the digestive tract. And they can have good, uh, um, a lot of beneficial effects for dogs. And actually, um, we, we had a fantastic testimonial from a, a dog who couldn't attend crusts this year because, or, or in the past because um, she had this terrible digestive upset, which meant she was going to the toilet all the time and her owner simply couldn't take her to crusts. And she started on our prebiotic um, supplement, our healthy digestion supplement, and she was able to go to Crufts for the first time, and she won a, an obedience medal at Crufts, wow. and it was a fantastic story. So, you know, they, these things really can make a big difference, and they don't work for all dogs and for all conditions because they are just supplements, and then they're not medicines. But, you know, when they work, they can be really effective, and, and because they're all natural um, ingredients, they, they're not going to have any side effects or cause any long-term problems, unlike a lot of medications. Yeah. So that they can be a wonderful solution for people. Yeah, excellent. Now, there's another word. I haven't got a clue what this one is, but can you put it into words for a layperson? What mm. is a nucleotide? 
Well, a nucleotide is actually, um, it's a precursor of the building blocks of the immune system. So a nucleotide is a, is a small um, protein structure which is then combined into um, various aspects of the, the cells and, and um, proteins in the immune system. So by feeding um, dogs um, nucleotides, you do encourage strengthening of the immune system. And again, there's um, that's something which has come from human um, supplements and you know, it's now widely used in lots of um, lots of products for pets. So, you know, those are the kind of things which, um, you know, again, I think it can be very effective. And it's harder to measure the effectiveness of nucleotides because, you know, really what they're doing is strengthening the immune system to hopefully make it less likely your dog will succumb to diseases and infectious problems. And, and you know, having feedback, trying to get um, some evidence for that is very hard without doing you know, a proper clinical study. So, that's one where I say, you know, it's really down to, we, we know how they work and, and how they should, what the effects they should have. So, um, but it, it's much harder to actually say, well, this, by giving nucleotides, this dog has not got this illness. You know, it's, mm. um, it's, it's one where you have to, you have to sort of accept that it's going to have a beneficial effect. Mm. But it, at least it's not going to harm them. It's not going to harm them, no, so there's no danger to it at all. So, um, you know, it's, it's something which is, they're all natural compounds that would be, they, the dogs would get or create from their food anyway, but it's just in a much um, in a much more digestible and much more u- utilisable format. Yeah, yeah. Now you've mentioned you you started off cooking for your dogs at home, and you have produced um, doggy cookbooks, haven't you as well? I certainly have in my time. I've, I've produced a cookbook for, for dogs called Doggy Dinners, which has got fifty recipes, all sorts of things, including some you can actually cook yourself for yourself and your dog to share. So I think that's spaghetti bolognese that, you know, you can eat and you can put a portion down on the floor for your dog to eat. So um, that's been very, very popular and and some of the best recipes in there. But I think the favourite one amongst people is our birthday cake for dogs, which is a meaty birthday cake. So, you know, if you want to celebrate your... um, celebrate your dog's big day once a year, then this is a, it's a really healthy cake. So as opposed to giving something with chocolate or something which can be very dangerous for dogs, you know, here's a recipe for, for a dog, um, you know, which, um, for a birthday cake, which is really healthy. Yeah, that sounds great, Joe. Where can people find out online more about, you know, your range of food and your cookbooks? Okay, well, if they go to petskitchen.co.uk, you can find out all, all about our various different foods um, and the vet's kitchen range and our Joan Jill's range of cat food and also the books as well. So that's the best place to go if you come to petskitchen.co.uk. Um, you can also find me on Twitter and Facebook and all those kind of things um, as Joe the Vet, all one word. So if you if you look for me on there, that'd be nice to chat to anyone who's got any questions or wants to you know um, suggest anything to me and I'd be happy to send recipes to people and things if they want to get in touch. And you know, especially with um, Christmas coming up, you know, we've got some. I've got some good, um, good recipes for the festive season as well. Excellent. Cheers, Joe. Thank you very much. We have links on the Dogcast Radio site for all the ways you can find out more about Joe or get in touch with him. And if you'd like to ask a question about feeding your dog or share a great recipe, do get in touch with us. of dog owners give their dog a Christmas present, with 40% hanging up a stocking for them. Barnaby's Christmas, written and read by Julie Hill. For weeks, the word Christmas had been spoken in excited tones in the house, so that now, when he heard it, the dog cocked his ears and paid attention, in case it was something to eat. He could feel the excitement building in the house, but he could also feel some stress too. 
Sometimes the one they called Mom took his head in her hands and sighed, Barnaby, I'll never get it all done. Sometimes the one they called Dad mumbled during the walk, It's costing a fortune, Barnaby. I swear it's more expensive every year. The children chatted away to him as they always did, but they mentioned Santa a lot. There was extra hustle and bustle and a lot of new smells coming into the house, but Barnaby couldn't really make much sense of it all. Then one morning, the aroma of mouth watering food pervaded the house, and his people greeted him with, Happy Christmas, Barnaby! He pricked his ears at that word. What did it mean? They gathered in the lounge and ripped highly coloured paper off a variety of items, while Barnaby had a wonderful time chasing the discarded paper on the floor, ripping it up happily. He even got to claw and bite the paper off one thing himself, and when he'd finished having fun with the paper, he had a brand new squeaky ball to play with. His humans rolled it round on the floor while he barked and ran after it. The smell of food grew to a crescendo, and it was time to move to the dining room. Barnaby lay near to the table, eyes bright, mouth moist, watching them. When they had finished, they gave him a dish of his own. His usual food, plus tasty additions that tasted wonderful, and had him returning to sniff hopefully at the dish, which remained empty but taunted him with tantalizing scent ghosts. In the afternoon, his people bundled up in coats, hats, scarves, and gloves, and they set off all together for a walk. That strange cold white stuff was still hiding the ground. It was tricky stuff, he knew, and today again, when his people squashed it into balls and threw it for him, When he arrived at the spot, the elusive object had landed. There was nothing to be seen, although his nose told him he was in the right place. Back at home, his family sat at the table and played a board game. Barnaby wandered below the table, licking a hand here, pouring at a knee there, and being rewarded with a stroke or a cuddle. When his people settled on the couch to watch television, Barnaby jumped up with them and stretched out over several laps. Happy and tired, after his busy day, he fell into a contented sleep. Soon he was twitching in his sleep, paws jerking, muzzle wrinkling. His people noticed and smiled as they watched him. What do you think he's dreaming about? they asked. A great big turkey just for him, was one suggestion. Chasing pesky snowballs was another. Opening presents was another. Barnaby's dreams would remain his own, but they were centered around one thing. His people. And he had solved the mystery. He now knew that Christmas, however you spend it, is about being with those you love. And for him, that was the best way to spend any day. Keep your dog safe from the top five Christmas hazards chocolate, antifreeze on the ground, pine needles, glass decorations, crowded kitchens. When we had our border collie Rusty, He was so different from our other two dogs that I felt rather bewildered. I had, of course, researched the breed, but nothing had fully prepared me for the whirlwind I had unleashed upon myself and everyone else in the house. I was searching on the internet on the phrase six month old border collie when I came across Rini Premaze's moving account of her experiences with border collie Jack. Two things immediately hit me. The first was that my problems with Rusty were not as huge as I had thought. And secondly, I really wanted to interview Rini and share her story with others. First of all, I wanted to know how Jack came into her life, but she wanted to get one thing straight first. First of all, before I even tell you that, I think that 
I don't know how many people in this world believe things are meant to be. Um, sometimes I think they are. Sometimes it doesn't matter. I mean, it, but that, but his arrival here, I really truly believe in my heart, um, had a purpose. And wherever he is now, I hope he's helping somebody else, only in a much different way. Yeah. Um, I adopted Jack actually from my own family members who had um, gone to a shelter initially to get a cat. Mm. <laughs> and the shelter worker, uh, I won't give you my opinion of this person, but the shelter worker said to them, we have the most beautiful three-month-old Porter Collie in another room. Would you like to go see this dog? Oh. And they went in there and they took him home. Mm. Um, the only thing they knew about a Border Collie was that one of their neighbors had a Border Collie, and the neighbor lived on a farm, and every time they would go to this farm for produce, they saw the Border Collie, and he was very well-behaved, and in their minds, they must have figured, like a lot of other people do when they latch onto a particular breed, that all Border Collies are just quiet and calm mm. and wonderful and perfect. Mm. So they brought him home, and uh, I honestly don't know how long it was before they started to realize they literally bit off more than they could chew. Mm -hmm. um, so we would go there um, for dinner sometimes, and I knew they had a dog named Jack, and I would say, where's Jack? Oh, he's down the basement, so he won't bother us while we're eating. So I remember um, during one visit, I said, where is he? I'd like to see him. So they opened the basement door, and he was down there in his crate. And at that time, they did not take him out of the crate because they said that, no, we, we, you know, we want to visit with you. We don't want to really, you know, be bothered. Mm. And keep in mind, during this time, I was not a trainer. I was mm. an average pet owner who had had dogs before, and I was in a situation where I had lost a dog about six months prior, and I swore I wasn't going to get another one. <laughs> so we hear that all the time. Mm. So... Uh, several months later, I got a call from my family members who said that um, you guys have a horse farm, and if you can't take Jack, then we're going to take him back to the shelter. He's, he's, a, he's just not behaving here. He's a problem. We're having issues with him. So I talked to my husband, and he, he you know, we really, you know, I you know, I thought, oh, I would like to have another dog. You know, I kind of mm. missed having a dog around. And I do love, I did love dogs all the time, my whole life. Mm. Um, so I went and visited with them, went up there by myself, went to visit them. And I saw a beautiful, beautiful Border Collie. I didn't know anything about the breed either. Um, and I never studied breeds, per se, because it wasn't my job at that time. Mm. So, so I knocked at the door, and when she opened the door, she quickly handed me a, a biscuit, and she said, give Jack a biscuit, and he'll like you. Mm. So I said, okay. <laughs> so I gave him the biscuit, and he chomped on it, and he was fine. I walked into the house, and he was perfectly, he was a gentleman. He didn't jump on me. Um, I didn't see any bad behavior at that time, and... I said, let's go for a walk. Let me see if I can take him for a walk. So she put the leash on him, 
and we walked around the neighborhood, and I held the leash, um, and he walked quite nicely with me. He didn't pull. Um, he didn't misbehave. And so we walked for about a half an hour, and then we went back to uh, my, my, um, my relative's house, and I sat, we sat down on the steps outside of her house. So I sat on, like, the second step down, Mm. and Jack sat down next to me on the top step. Mm. Um, He was was wonderful. He sat there nicely while I I reached around him and petted him, um, had my hand over his back, Mm. um, petted him. He didn't snarl. He didn't growl. He was wonderful. Um, So... And again, I had no clue that what I could have done that day could have gotten my face bitten off by some other dog. Mm. You know, um, yeah. this dog didn't know me from page eight. No, no. So, so we went in the house for a while, and she started to give me a little clue about what the issues were. And so she said he gets very possessive over... Um, things. I said, well, what things? She says, well, sometimes he gets possessive over food, like if he gives, gets a bone to chew on, um, or he'll get possessive over a ball. He likes to play with the ball, but he won't let you have it, and if you try to take it, he gets really upset. He mm-hmm. kind of growls. So I said, okay, let me see if I can play ball with him. Um, and so that's when I saw there was a problem um, what Jack was doing was he was loving the fact that we were engaged in a game of fetch, um, and then he would bring the ball back, and then he would drop it on the floor, and I reached for it, and then I heard a growl. So I quickly pulled my hand back, um, and I didn't take the ball. So I thought, uh, I don't know what this is, <laughs> but I didn't like getting growled at. Um, so I, I finished the visit. It was okay. Nobody got bitten or anything <laughs> like that. I just decided, okay, it's not such a great idea to play ball with him. And I went home and I talked to my husband about it. And I said, you know, um, I did a little reading about this breed and they're farm dogs. So we'll bring him down here. There'll be plenty for him to do. He'll be around because we have a horse farm. Mm. Um, and there'll be things, you know, we have, we have 30 acres. He can run around. I mean, a lot of our, our farm is fenced in. And he'll, you know, and, and we're going to discipline him, meaning that, you know, we're going to set rules for him and yeah. we're not going to spoil him. Mm. But in my mind, in those days, discipline meant you do what I say or else. I mean, that's all we knew in those days. That was a long time ago. Mm. Um, I'd always been taught to use a choke collar and use leash corrections and things like that. So this was in my mind. Okay, I know how to train a dog to walk on a leash, and I know how to discipline a dog, so I'll provide some discipline in his life. So he came home to here, and he bit me on my hands every day, for a little more than a month, I would say, wow. and I didn't know what to do. Um, so I, at that time, I had AOL on my computer, hmm. and I was very, very fortunate to find groups, uh, email discussion groups for each breed. I mean, it was wonderful. Mm. If you were, if you liked spaniels, there was an email group for spaniel owners who talked with one another and gave each other advice. Um, the Border Collie group was lots and lots of people 
um, who were having difficulties with their dogs and seemed to be experts on the subject. Mm. So I started to go on those on that list every day, and I began to describe the problems that I was having. And they honestly, I I got the best advice, and I was fortunate that these people were not negative trainers. They were all positive, and they're the fir- one of the first things they advised me to do was to seek out a trainer who uses positive reinforcement. Mm. So I dutifully did that, not even knowing what the heck positive reinforcement dog training was all about. Mm. So I was very fortunate again. Um, I found a trainer who was less than five miles away from me, mm. and I approached her and um, talked to her about it, and she said, well... Um, bring him here and I'll do private training with you in my office because she has a training facility Mm. and um, we'll start working with him. Um, And she taught me all about clicker training. Mm. And and I have to tell you, uh, you know, one of the things that my email list advised me to do was when you do find a trainer, go to one of her classes and observe and make sure you're comfortable with what she's doing, which Mm. is excellent advice. Really, I, I'm so grateful to these people. So I did go and observe. Now, keep in mind, I knew nothing about positive training. And when I went to observe a class without my dog, I see everybody with these treat bags shoving treats in the dog's mouth. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. <laughs> look what they're doing. I mean, they look ridiculous giving these dogs treats all the time. Mm. So anyway, I figured, well, this woman, you know, knows more about dogs than I do, and I really wanted to help the dog. Even though he was biting me, where he had some redeeming qualities, you know, and I I really was getting attached to him. I just needed to stop the biting. Mm. So I did. She was wonderful. She was very kind. Um, I I went there about three, at first it was four times a week for about an hour, an hour, an hour and a half in her office. She taught me how to use the clicker. And we very, very carefully desensitized him to having his collar grabbed, which would set him off uh, really bad, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, to having me or her brush him, Mm -hmm. um, to having people approach him and greet him by reaching your hand out to him, um, by trying to desensitize him to all of his handling issues. So we took it a step at a time. It was the most educational experience I ever had in my life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I use the term lovely to describe the story, what I mean is that he found the right person who, you know, as you say, you you were getting attached to him. You had the love and the patience and the, the perseverance you know, to look past those problems and say, no, I'm going to work through this. And I mean, the, the detail, when I read the article, the detail, like the, um, the false hand that you used to desensitize him initially, I mean, it, it was a very long, involved process, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I worked, we, we, we did the private training for four months. And I have to tell you, um, she could have charged me between 50 and and $100 a day to do this. She charged me $10. I mean, she made no money from this, but I think that she saw how anxious I was to help the dog. And later, after, you know, many months of working with her, um, she she told me, you're the perfect owner for him because everything I tell you to do, you do. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, the, the hardest, one of the hardest things I had to do, she said to me, before you come back to your next visit, I want you to go home. I want you to uh, learn how to put a basket muzzle on him, and I want you to clip his nails. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding. She said, no, this is what I want you to do. So I did it. I just figured it out myself. She taught me kind of how to desensitize him to a basket muzzle. And I put a plate of treats right in front of him. I mean, he couldn't eat the treats because he was muzzled, but he saw the treats. And so I would clip the very tip of a nail. He would get a treat mm-hmm. through, the, through the wires of the muzzle. And then he would, um, I would clip the next nail, and he would get a treat. So if I can remember back that far, I think I may have clipped one or two nails, and he was okay, but I could see he was getting antsy, and so I took the muzzle off, and, and that training session was done for the day. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you can't push a dog past his threshold, and you really do have to um, watch the dog's body language. And for, for, the, for the life of this dog in my home, even a, a few years later when I felt comfortable doing certain things, I always put the muzzle on him when I clipped his nails, and I always watched his body language. Mm. And if I felt that he was getting tense, I stopped what I was doing, tried to get him to relax, and if I felt that I could continue on, then I did. Mm. And he got lots of treats for doing the right thing because he had hot spots in his ears all the time. He had allergies and Mm. all kinds of things. So uh, these these hot spots in his ears were very, very painful, and I had to medicate him, and I found a great... Uh, natural product anyway. So, so it got to a point where I didn't have to muzzle him to do his ears because he got um, nuked up hot dogs for treats or he got cheese for treats for doing that. So mm-hmm. there wasn't an issue with that anymore. Yeah. Um, I mean, there were issues that were, he, after all the training and all the behavior modification and desensitization, counter conditioning, the, the thing that never really went away totally was um, the nail the nail clipping? I continued to use the muzzle for that, um, and I could take hold of his collar. Mm. And as long as I didn't put any pressure on it, I could get him to walk with me. Um, there was one incident where he got into my corral. And I didn't want him getting his head kicked in from a very energetic thoroughbred in there. Um, So he got in there, and I quickly took hold of his collar and just said, let's go. And he walked right out with me. Mm. But had I pulled on the collar, I'm sure even then I would have gotten bitten. Yeah, yeah. He was a fascinating dog, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean, some people would have, want, you know, really want, would have given him up immediately. Mm. But there was a major incident, and it almost cost him his life. Mm. Um, he he bit his pet sitter. Yeah. And I don't understand what happened till today. I've heard of stories of dogs doing this, um, but I'm not sure I completely understand the. The, the reason for it. Mm. She was a very tall woman. She loved him to death, and she sat for him after that, too. I couldn't believe it. Oh. Um, so, so every time she would come sit for him, which wasn't all that often, I'd have her spend time with him, reacquainting, um, and so he, he would be comfortable with her mm. um, 
when I would leave, maybe the next day, and she would she would stay at my house. She had that, and it was great. Yeah. Um, so, but what happened was, so uh, the second time she came to reacquaint with him, things were fine, and I left them alone on my back patio while I went out and raked leaves, and all of a sudden I heard her screaming, No, Jack, no, stop it. Hmm. So I ran in the back there, and he had bitten her. Four puncture wounds, two on the on the front side, two on the palm. I mean, two on the palm and two on the back side. So it was a four. It was a full mouth bite. Mm. He broke the skin. She was bleeding a little bit, and um, she had. I made her go to the hospital to get the tetanus shot. Of course, I paid for that, and I. I was God. I was mortified, yeah. embarrassed. I just didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, and so I talked to my husband, and I said, what do I do? And he said, you know, well, you know, you keep working with him. You know, he's been doing really good. We'll just keep working with him. But if it happens again, we're really going to have to think about, yeah. you know, doing something pretty drastic here because mm. we didn't want to get sued. And No. no. So and, um, and... that actually was the impetus for my finding the trainer. That, so, so I kind of told you a story a little backwards. Um, that bite occurred, um, and then I went to get that trainer. Mm. So, um, but he, he had some quite odd um, triggers in a way because he didn't like it. I can't remember if it was you or the trainer when one of you sort of cocked your leg over a um, to get over. That was an a, interesting. That was an interesting a, situation, a wasn't it? Yeah. Well, tell us about that. Uh, well, during one of the private sessions with the trainer, um, we were gated off with a baby gate from one of the rooms and her office, hmm. uh, so he couldn't get through. And we were sitting there working, and then her phone rang, and her receptionist was, was, had gone out or something, so Barb, her name was Barbara, so she, she put her leg up over the baby gate, and as soon as she did, he, he launched himself at her leg. Thank God he had a muzzle on. Yeah, yeah. So, so we tried to desensitize him to that. That was another trigger we pulled out of him. Um, and he never stopped. He, the reaction to her doing it got a little better. Um, but when I did it, I got no reaction at all. So that was kind of strange. Um, but, you know, uh, there was no reoccurrence because in in my home at my home anyway nobody could get a leg up over a fence mm -hmm. um somebody did put their finger through a fence to pet them and he kind of nipped them yeah. um but it was like a little tiny inhibited warning yeah. thing hey i don't like that yeah but um so so that was another trigger yeah, yeah. You know, did, I mean, it was just—it was just an education and a half. I bet, I bet. Do, do you? I mean, the, the, he found the right person, and that's the happy part of the story. Right. The sad part is, he died very young, didn't he? And yes, do you he think because he was six and yes. he had liver disease? Do you think that his health problems caused his? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with a doctor, a vet by the name of. Jean Dodds. No, no. She is a pretty well-known veterinarian uh, in the United States. She uh, has done a lot of research about thyroid disease um, and sh about over-vaccination. She, she's very, she's vehemently against um, vets over-vaccinating dogs, and she's put out her own protocol. And she did a seminar, as a matter of fact, at the training center where I had taken Jack. Um, several years later, 
And I, you know, during question and answers, I kind of talked to her about him, that he, you know, a full diagnosis couldn't be made. Um, but I, I explained to her, I mean, I attended his necropsy. I mean, my vet was shocked that I could do that. I just wanted to make sure that his his cause of death wasn't something that I caused. Mm. You know, you get the guilties. You want you want to make sure that oh my god, I hope I didn't do anything. And it was a very painful death. I have to tell you, yeah. everything was horrible about how he got sick and actually how he died. Yeah. Um, but I gave her a lot of descriptions about the liver being smaller than it normal, um, about you know the symptoms that he had, and she diagnosed him um, as having chronic active hepatitis. Mm. Chronic active hepatitis, um, first of all, he had been on the absolute worst diet for that, um, which was chicken. Hmm. Um, there has to, I don't remember the whole thing, but um, chicken has some, I don't remember if it's iron or copper or something, some element in chicken hmm. that this dog should never have had because he couldn't pass it off. He couldn't eliminate it hmm. because his liver wasn't functioning properly. So had I known that, I, I could possibly have extended his life. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I do believe that he probably was sick for a very, very long time and just didn't have any other way of telling anyone, hey, I don't feel 100% normal. Mm. He yeah. had a lot of digestive issues. Mm. He threw up a lot. Um, so I was, you know, always dealing with that. Mm. So I do believe that for a long time that this dog had... had um, had the disease. Yeah, yeah. Um, you've talked about some things, you know, being meant to happen, and Jack coming into your life gave you a passion to go on and help other people, didn't he? Absolutely. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I have to tell you, I was, uh, I was a, an owner. My husband and I owned a retail gift shop at a farmer's market uh, not far from our home, and I... I had that store for at that time I would tell I would say for about 23 years mm. um, and was doing well uh, but once I started to learn and see the results that I was getting with clicker training and being in the training environment my trainer invited me to be an assistant in her classes just as a, just as a, a thing mm. you know would you like to come and assist me in some of my classes mm. I said I'd love it so she didn't know it at the time, but she actually became my mentor, mm. you know, because I just learned so much. She was a wonderful trainer. I have to yeah. tell you, she was an absolute wonderful trainer. Um, and um, so I learned everything, and I didn't learn everything, but, um, you know, if somebody came up to her after class with a problem they were having with their own dog, I stayed behind. I listened. I listened to everything that she said. Yeah. And I was like a sponge. And um, so I did that for two years, and then I started to take on some private clients of my own, um, and I also attended an online college at the time, which was called um, Synology College. And so I, 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 that's an online college, and you, get, you study on the computer, and you take tests. Um, and so that's where I was taught learning theory, which is how dogs learn. Mm. What motivates dogs? How you do behavior modification? What is desensitization and counter conditioning? So while I was attending that school, I was also assisting, and then I was also taking on some private clients, and so the whole thing was just working mm. beautifully. 
Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and you can, look, you can go to colleges. You can, I could have gone to get a Ph.D. in this subject. But until you go out and you work with other dogs, and, and, and I saw other dogs that were very much like my dog, but I saw other situations, too, that I didn't know that much about. And yeah. to be honest with you, that is the only way you can really, really learn is to go out there and work with clients. If, if something isn't, if it's not something that you feel that you can handle, um, you get help. You, re, you refer them out and you go, to the, you, you go to those training sessions so you can see what the other trainer is telling them to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, and every, even today, like if somebody calls me, and I've been doing this for over 10 years now, if somebody calls me with a problem and I think to myself, well, I think I, I could plan something out, but I get a little bit nervous thinking, am I going to be able to help this dog? You, you, I don't think you ever stop. Mm. Having doubts like that until you you get your feet wet, you go meet the dog, and then you plan out a behavior program. You plan out what you're going to do with the dog. Mm. So, but I I think the day that anybody thinks I know everything now, right? You, you're finished. You know, yeah, you <laughs> so, must be because yeah. I don't think that you'll ever know everything. No, no. And you've you know, and every dog mind. is every dog is an individual, and every dog will present you with its own set of yeah issues. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, by the time you think I know the lot, you've closed your mind. So mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not great. I mean, I, I I like everything you say, and I, I mean, you're you're a, a champion of positive methods, and you sort of say I train without pain, and, mm-hmm. and that's your message, isn't it, to people? Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I I saw how it worked. It hurts my heart when people call me and they say they've been using a shock collar or they're using a prong collar. It just hurts me mm. um, to hear that. And so that's what I try to do. You know, I just want to keep the dogs out of shelters. If they're rescue dogs, I want to make sure that they remain in their homes. It's very, very important to me. I really do truly care about the dogs. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I do it for me and I do it for them and I also do it to keep Jack's memory alive because I think about him every day and I thank him you know it's a shame that he had to live like he did Mm. um, but you know he was meant to educate me and because Mm. of all the good that I can do yeah yeah Um, I mean you also have a radio show uh, don't you Thursday in the doghouse Thursday in the doghouse right I do that from a local uh, radio station here Um, it's uh, Sewell New Jersey it's a weekly program. I've, I've since taken on a co-host, which, which I think makes it a little more colorful. And we interview experts in the field. We interview um, authors and trainers and veterinarians, uh, very, very well-known veterinarians um, at times, like uh, Dr. Dodman, Nicholas Dodman. We've inter- in, uh, interviewed recently Patricia McConnell, who is who hmm. actually my own trainer called her to get um, advice from her when we were working with Jack. Mm. Um, and so it's, it's, I love the show and I'm, again, we're educating listeners and I have the podcasts on my website, jerseydogtrainer.com and they're listed by subject and then the sub, the, um, the title of the show is given and if, if people are interested in hearing them, they click on the link and they can hear any show they want and it's about a 30 minute show. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I can really recommend people go and look at your website and definitely read the article about Jack because it it is a story that um, 
it touched my heart, and I'm sure it will touch other people's. And, you know, he was sort of a, a once-in-a-lifetime dog, and as you say, he was meant to be in your life. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And, uh, and every day, it's, 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 a, it's a joyful experience going to go out and helping people with their dogs. It really is. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes you, you things hurt you or, or clients don't follow through and they call you and they tell you that they're giving their dog up. Um, but you just go forward, you know, because you can't save them all. Mm. That, that's the hardest thing you have to learn when you do this. Mm. You cannot save them all. And you can do what you can do to try to convince people that the methods that you're uh, advising them to use um, will help the dog, but if they don't follow through, mm. you know, people get lazy. Yeah. There's mm. nothing you can do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you, you're helping lots and lots of dogs, and as you say, it's a great tribute to Jack. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a link to Rini's website where you can find out more about her and her radio show, and we also have a link to the article I read about Jack, which made me want to interview Rini so much. Jack may not have had as happy a life as he should, but he found the person who could give him the best life possible. And most importantly, he found in Rini someone who never gave up on him. Their story certainly inspired me to persevere with working through Rusty's issues. So if you're in need of inspiration, check out Rini's site. Over three quarters of dog owners in the UK will give their dog at least one slice of turkey this Christmas. Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. We're used to taking health precautions for ourselves and know that certain people may benefit from a flu shot. But vets in America recently suggested that dogs who are in regular contact with other dogs should be vaccinated against canine influenza. Apparently various locations in America have had problems with canine flu, including the New York metropolitan area and near San Antonio, Texas. The virus, known as H3N8, was identified in 2004 and numbers of dogs being affected is on the rise. Symptoms are similar to that of human flu and dogs who go into doggy daycare or who are in shelters are at increased risk. But people are the biggest factor in spreading the bug by handling an infected dog then passing the bug on to the next dog they touch. Meanwhile, dogs in Russia have extra problems in the winter. But according to the head of Moscow City Hall's Environment Department, there is a solution. The issue is anti-icing chemicals that are put on Moscow streets. It may keep the city moving, but it causes burns to animals' paws. So, the official advice is for Muscovites to put protective boots on their dogs and also not walk them near large roads or along pedestrian sidewalks. The Hangover star Bradley Cooper was named by People magazine as 2011 Sexiest Man Alive. But perhaps part of his appeal is his love of rescue dogs. Bradley has talked about his two rescue dogs, Samson, a German short-haired pointer, and Charlotte, a chow retriever mix, and his unconditional love for them. Sadly, Samson passed away in 2010, but a large portrait of him hangs in Bradley's house, and Charlotte often accompanies him on set. So, what is the sexiest man alive looking for in a woman? Well, anyone who wants to love Bradley will have to love his dogs as well, which shouldn't be a problem for any Dogcast radio listeners. Well, Bradley Cooper isn't the only one who thinks a lot of his dogs, and recent research has shown us that our relationships with our dogs fall mainly into one of three categories. 
Some of us are humanists, meaning we see our dog as a person, and this may include dressing the dog up, treating him like a child, and often talking to him. Others are protectionists who respect their dog, seeing them as a valued part of their family, but recognizing that they are a dog and not allowing them on couches or beds. The third category is dominionists, for whom their dog serves a purpose, which is to work, and their dogs are not allowed into the house or seen as part of the family. Do you recognize yourself in there? Do you think there are other categories? Well, if you do, let us know what you think. When appropriately named Mischief, a golden retriever, went missing while walking in the Quantock Hills in Somerset in the UK, his owner, Tony Rich, could find no sign of him. While Tony sadly went home alone, Mischief had fallen a hundred feet down an unused quarry onto a ledge above a pool of water. Fortunately, the only injury he sustained was a cut paw, and finding himself stuck, Mischief started barking. A passerby heard him and reported it to the emergency services. And in a striking coincidence, Tony's son, Nick Rich, was one of the firefighters dispatched to rescue poor Mischief. That's it from the Dogcast Radio News Desk for 2011. So we'd like to wish you a very happy, healthy Christmas. And we'll be back with more great dog-related news in 2012. OK, you know this, but does everyone you know know this? A dog is for life, not just for Christmas. research in the news really interesting about the types of relationships we have with our dogs. I think I'm mainly a humanist with a lot of protectionist thrown in, but whatever you are and however you're spending Christmas and New Year, I hope you stay happy, healthy and warm. And we'll be back next year with more of anything and everything dog related. And in our first 2012 show, we're back with a bang with Vladislav Reuterpel, the Russian dog wizard. Oh yes. So until then, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121 2880922 From the US you can contact us on our American number which is 3158492022 From any other country you'll need your international exit code and then 4412128809222 You can contact us on Skype with the ident dogcast radio that's all one word dog Cast Radio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com. When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way, we can include them directly in our program. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com. And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. How did the small dog feel when Santa Claus fell down his chimney? Terrified.